Welcome to the Healthy Compulsive Project podcast, where you can take a deep dive to explore the pitfalls and potential of the obsessive compulsive personality, offering hope and help for perfectionists, workaholics, micromanagers, type A personality, and control freaks. Hello, everyone. Gary Trosclair here, psychotherapist, Jungian analyst, and author of the Healthy Compulsive Project book, blog, and podcast. Since it's going to be that time of year when we strain our necks to look both backward and forward, reflecting on where we've been and where we want to go, I thought it'd be a good time to talk about being good. We usually assume that being good is a good thing, but there are limits to that, depending on our motivations. So in this episode, we'll be looking under the surface to see what behavior to keep and what to let go of. Hopefully, this will make it more possible for you to have a happy new year. This is episode 24 of the Healthy Compulsive Project podcast. What are you trying to prove by being so good? Now that Santa Claus has come and gone, year-end reviews are done, and the in-laws have left, nobody's going to be scrutinizing you for a while, so you can settle back and chill out for a while. Do whatever you want to do. What's that? You're still thinking about what the best thing to do is? even though no one's watching? Something told me that you wouldn't be tripping old ladies as they cross the street, stealing Kit Kats from kids, or viciously trolling someone because of their deplorable taste in evening wear. In fact, I figured you'd be thinking about what the next good thing is, be it moral or high achieving. People with obsessive compulsive personality tendencies and type A personality are driven to be good in some professional, personal, or moral way. They feel a constant pressure to do good things and to do them perfectly. But trying so hard to be good isn't always so good and can even backfire. To sort this out, let's explore three primary motivations. First of all, social and virtual signaling. Some of our good behavior is designed to send social signals. Social signaling theory posits that our evolution has led us to obey social customs to show others that we are good, cooperative citizens so that we don't get thrown out into the savannah on our own to deal with lions, snakes, and packs of snarling hyenas. Some would argue that people with obsessive compulsive tendencies actually need to learn how to send appropriate social signals. The way they signal sometimes sends the wrong signal. Compulsives, in my observation, work hard to earn respect. In fact, more than they do to earn love. It's their own particular brand of social signaling. This causes problems in relationships because it leads to priorities that don't make sense to other people. Virtual signaling, a specific type of social signaling, is intended to show our good morals to others. We might attempt this by buying a Prius, a low-mileage vehicle, recycling small bits of paper, or not eating the last nutball cookie, And while the phrase virtue signaling often has a derogatory implication, others argue that it's actually a good thing. I don't want to get lost in the goods with this idea of signaling, but mainly to point out how common and even natural it is to prove our goodness to others, unless it's used to compensate for a sense of inadequacy, which we'll get to in a minute. So the second motivation type we're going to talk about here is when there's no signaling. There are some acts which convey no signal at all. 
Have you ever done something admirable that you knew no one else would ever get chance to admire? Maybe you knew that it would make someone happy, or you just felt like doing it. Maybe you'd buy that Prius even if other people thought it was a Dodge Ram. I believe that much of the effort that goes into being good is organic, and it's motivated by natural inclination. The third motivation we're going to talk about is self-signaling. Sometimes those selfless acts are designed to signal to ourselves that we are good after all. You've always got you watching you, and that part of you simply wants to reassure yourself that you are a decent human being by doing things that are morally good or high-achieving. But if there is also underlying insecurity, these tendencies get magnified to an unhealthy degree, and that's when it backfires. Under the surface of our efforts to be, quote, good, close quote, we may feel a need to compensate and to prove that we're not lazy, stupid, sloppy, or selfish. We want to convince not only other people, but also ourselves, that we're hardworking, smart, meticulous, caring, generous, and respectable. Even though the lengths we will go through to do this actually puts more distance between us and other people. And this tendency to try to prove that we're good or respectable also gets in the way of happiness, peace of mind, and mental health. Let's look at some examples. Think about Batman, also known as Bruce Wayne. One evening, when he's eight years old, he asks his parents if they could go out to see a show. They oblige, and on the way home, a petty criminal, Joe Chill, tries to rob his parents and ends up killing them in the process. Bruce is beside himself with guilt and anger. He vows to get revenge on the killer. And that's how Batman was born. But even after Joe Chill is killed, Batman's still not content, much less happy. He's alone and constantly scowling. He hasn't dealt with the real problem. Yes, Batman does seek revenge, but he also seeks relief from his guilt for his parents' death as well. He feels that they were murdered because of his, quote, selfish request to see a show that evening. He then spends a lifetime trying to prove to himself that he isn't selfish. Yes, he genuinely wants to rid Gotham of evil, but he also wants to rid himself of his own guilt as well and to prove that he is a decent human being after all. The closer to the unhealthy end of the compulsive spectrum someone is, the more likely it is that they feel the need to convince themselves, if not others, that they are honorable. This often leads them to overwork, over-control, and over-signal in some way, even if it's not obvious to them. When your self-esteem is at stake, the consequences of not succeeding become so prominent that it leaves no room for other things in life, whether it's because you're too busy meticulously cleaning the kitchen or trying to start the next Doctors Without Borders. Let's look at a more human example now. Ned was not the coolest kid in his class, though he was the smartest. He didn't experience outright bullying, but other kids did tease him about being a nerdy loser, and he was usually excluded from their socializing. The rejections continued until he reached college, when he finally found a few people that he was more in sync with. But the scars from the earlier rejections remained, and Ned was determined to get respect. He vowed that he would prove himself to be a winner by succeeding. He eventually concluded, 
I don't care if they like me. I just don't want anyone to think or say that I'm a loser. This more obvious social issue of wanting to compensate for childhood exclusion and teasing sat on top of two other deeper issues. These issues were less obvious, but they also led to a need to prove himself. His parents were very supportive, maybe too supportive. They believed Ned was destined to do great things. They saw that he worked hard, was conscientious, and paid attention to detail. More, they saw him as talented. Surely all those things made him special and would land him in a good place. But Ned wasn't as convinced. He knew his shortcomings. And peer opinion meant more than parental opinion. Besides, he knew that any success he had had in middle and high school was won not by talent but by hard work. Only if he kept his nose posted painfully close to that grindstone would he achieve what they thought he should achieve. While he certainly wanted to prove to others that he had worth, he also had to prove to himself that he could live up to his parents' expectations. His Catholic upbringing added an additional layer of insecurity. The version of the teaching that he heard in the church was, You're guilty until you prove your innocence. Even though he had quit going to church, he carried the message that he was not a good person and that life is just a test to see if you can prove that you are good after all. He drove himself relentlessly, well into adulthood, trying to prove to himself, his parents, his peers, and the universe that he was a good person and he deserved respect. This I'll show you mantra only slipped into consciousness occasionally, but it was always in the back of his mind, driving him to work harder and be better. When people or things got in his way, he became furious because they blocked him from his goal of proving himself. The anger fed on itself because then he needed to prove that he was right and someone else was wrong. Like an attorney, he kept looking for all the reasons he was right, ignoring any suggestions that he might need to look at himself or a situation differently. Ned did have talents, his natural desire to solve problems, and his industriousness among them. These tendencies can be very satisfying, but as happens to many people, when these talents are hijacked to prove goodness, success is no longer simply desired, but desperately needed. The need to prove drowns out cries from body and soul for a more balanced life, more pleasure, more peace, and more connection. This push to prove may also be fueled by the natural tendency to take on challenges and grow personally. It's instinctual to want to evolve and fulfill our potential, but this energy can also be co-opted to prove that we're respectable. For instance, the energy that would naturally go into becoming a better teacher might be co-opted to prove that you are okay after all, despite what everyone said about you. This could bring anxiety to your teaching that could get in the way of both you and your students progressing. But let's not pathologize this need to prove ourselves. Proving that we're reliable, trustworthy, strong, or otherwise desirable was part of our evolution. It was built into us as we evolved in tribes of 75 people. A good reputation was necessary if you were to stay in the tribe and not be thrown out on your own. And the reality is that you are being judged. You do have to prove that you add value at your workplace. And yes, that handsome guy or cute girl is checking you out on the first date. 
but not about what you think. Rarely do people expect perfection. In fact, what many compulsive perfectionists miss is that when they try to prove that they're respectable, they often end up proving that they're just difficult to get along with. It's very human to want to be respected for who we are, but if we feel that we're morally deficient or otherwise inadequate and we betray our true selves to get that we respect, we will experience anxiety and depression. To begin to work your way out of this trap, ask yourself the following questions. Take your time as the answers may not be obvious at first. How have you wanted other people to see you and how have you wanted to see yourself? Is this to compensate for what you think is a shortcoming? Check to see if you feel extra pressure or urgency in your body to prove yourself. What's the story you've told yourself that's led you to feel that you need to make others see you differently? Might that story be inaccurate? Have your natural tendencies for self-improvement been hijacked to prove that you're respectable? Has that energy gone into appearances rather than growth? Do you sacrifice too much, that is, relationships, health, and pleasure, and trying to get others, or yourself, to see you in a particular way? Where does your reputation sit in your list of priorities? What goals might be more fulfilling to you than proving yourself? It would be unrealistic to try not to care what people around you think of you, but trying to convince everyone that you're good, good in whatever way you think you need to be seen, may lead you to pursue projects and perfection that are actually self-destructive. Strive for your ideals, but don't let them get hijacked by your insecurity. This episode might have left you wondering how we can know whether we're actually good enough. So, sometime the next few weeks, I'll be releasing an episode devoted to the subject of being good enough. So subscribe so that you don't miss a word. You can find transcripts of this podcast with links to research sources and lots more at the Healthy Compulsive blog, www.thehealthycompulsive.com. If you'd like to subscribe to the Healthy Compulsive podcast, hit that subscribe button. And for a thorough guide to cultivating the positive potential of the compulsive personality, find my book on Amazon, The Healthy Compulsive, Healing Obsessive Compulsive Personality Disorder and Taking the Wheel of the Driven Personality. And if you find any of these helpful, let others know by leaving a review. Till next time, enjoy the drive.